Welcome to Moreland Myths. Well, I just realized my phone wasn't muted yet. I was like, oh my God, did she think she heard me? But then she didn't hear me. Is she you going know. crazy? No, I feel like you would know, but I would just had to ask. <laughs> I don't know. I probably wouldn't know. <laughs> you would. And welcome to More Than Myths, where Corinne and Haley don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything. We don't which know. is not true. We have so much information for you guys today. I have so much information. This might be a long in. That was really loud. <laughs> that was so loud. I tried but... to cut mine down because I was doing so much research because there's so many interesting things, but I went back through it and cut some stuff out. So, oh, okay. We won't be here for three hours. Oh, that's good. But <laughs> maybe we will. Maybe just grab a drink or some coffee or water or whatever and cookies and dinner. <laughs> Settle in. Settle in. For some storytelling. Heck yeah. But first, right. how are you? How's your week? I have a sad story to tell you. Oh, shit. I wondered why you sounded sad. I was like, what is happening? Like, I just talked to you 30 seconds ago and you were fine. And all of a sudden you're like, I can tell there was a change. There's a change. <laughs> no. So this also is not actually sad. So let me just be clear with that. But it's kind of, it was just a bummer. So I've had tickets to go to the Broadway show, Hades Town, for like two months. Yeah. And which doesn't seem like a long time, but it is. Okay. And I went with Shayla, one of my friends here in Seattle, and we like, planned the whole thing we picked out our outfits we got ready we got an uber to the show we get out of the car we're like walking to the door <laughs> and it's canceled <gasps> no like no warning oh no emails no nothing that's a bummer it was such a bummer. We were like, what? What? And it's like 7.30 at this point. We had yeah. already eaten food, like, so we couldn't go out to dinner or, right. you know, like, go do something like that. So we're, like, not hungry. Oh. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? So we ended up going out and drinking all night. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Drowned our sorrows. But it was. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God, we went to a dance club. It was like our last stop of the night. It's called the Rhino Room. And the top, like the, there was a line all the way yeah. around to uh -huh. get in. And we were just like, what is the deal with this place? So we get mm -hmm. in line and it's like empty. You look inside and there's nobody in there. We're like, where, what is the deal? And so Shayla asked this guy in front. She's like, is this worth the wait? And he's like, yeah, you can't see the, the basement club from here. And so there's like another floor of the club underground. What? And it's like all jungle themed. <gasps> Fun. It was cool. But then the best part of it, it was like 2010 prom playlist last night. Oh, it was what? like, <laughs> since you've been gone. Oh, my God. Everybody was screaming it. Oh, my at God. the top of their lungs. Like, 
I Kelly Clarkson was done proud last night and I was just like what is happening I'm like why is this cool because Shayla and I like we, we know Gen Z music we're gonna be great we're gonna have it's so gonna much fun awesome. and then it's like literally like our playlists from high school and we're just like there's a millennial running the DJ stand tonight that's the only thing that's that's all it could be so that's anyway it was, that was funny we were like knew all the songs even Which better. is always a good time. It's always a good time. But yeah, we got home late, ate midnight dinner. That's always and, the best. Yeah, slept in this morning. Sounds great. So yeah, sounds like you had my, the best time. That was our makeup for the evening. That sounds pretty good. Sounds yeah. like pretty good makeup. Yeah. What about you? What are you up to? Not much. Not much. <laughs> nope. No, uh, actually, Chris and I yesterday had a really good date day. We, what the fuck did we do? Um, I surprised him and took him out to uh, Caldwell, the Indian Creek Plaza. There's a, like, frozen yogurt place out there that does Dole Whip. Mm. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to take him out there because, you know, he enjoys a good Dole Whip. I enjoy a good mm-hmm. Dole Whip. We enjoy a good Dole Whip. Dole Whip is great. Yeah, so we went out there and... Uh, it was late. It, we kind of got lost a little bit because we don't ever go out there. Yeah. But it's no big deal. I mean, it's cold. Though. It was no big deal. So we park and we walk. And I looked at him and I was like, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? He's like, yeah. There's a little barbecue shop. And mm-hmm. so we went in and we got, he, he got like beef tongue sandwiches. <laughs> but I got a pork sandwich. Yeah, that's okay. what I said too. Anyway. Uh, we sat outside and ate and got these like delicious. Oh, uh, I can't remember. It's like an apple cider vinegar kind of kind of drink. Oh my gosh, it was so yeah. good! And our food came like a shrub. Uh, kind. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, it's usually just kind of like a sweetened soda. But... Um, it kind of yeah with apple. Mine had apple cider vinegar and mm-hmm. all this other. It was really good. But our yeah. food came. And I couldn't put my sandwich down. Oh, yeah. It was so good. I had like messy face. Yeah. Like I had a napkin tucked into my shirt to make sure I didn't get my cute blouse dirty. Nice. And it was like elbows tucked in. We're going. Going in. <laughs> We're going in. Yeah. And then Amazing. we went and walked around a little shop. And then we went and got Dole Whip. And then we went to the bookstore. Hmm. Huh. Of course. Shocking. I know. It shocked you. Should be. Is it a day is a day date without a bookstore trip? No, it's not. No. That's is not it true. a weekend? Is it a day in the life without going to the bookstore? <laughs> no. No. Nope. Negative. But yeah, that's what we did. That sounds lovely. It was a good day. We had a good day. Went clothes shopping. Ooh. Bought some nice. new clothes. Probably shouldn't have. But it is what it is. It's fine. It's fine. Future Haley problems. Yeah, she's got this. Um, I also had a, we went to a Cuban sandwich shop yesterday mm-hmm. for lunch, but like our late lunch, early dinner kind yeah. of thing. And I had a like Cubano that was Ooh. so good. So good. But also pulled pork. Ooh, yeah. Oh, we mm-hmm. ate the same kind of sandwich. I know. Yeah, it was about it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Are you so ready? I saw your previous um, 
I was going to say your previous treat, but that's not what I meant. Your previous sneak peek. <sighs> Here we go. Okay. So today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to get into something I don't usually cover. And I don't actually think that I've ever covered. Um, but it's one of history's mysteries. Yeah. Um, so today we're talking about a completely unsolved case of the SS Urang Madan. <gasps> and I want to stress its unsolvedness. <laughs> <laughs> unsolvedness. Because that's my biggest annoyance about mystery shows is they hint <gasps> the whole time that they yeah. have some secret answer that you're going to have some clarity by the end of the show. And they just give you facts upon facts upon facts. And then you're like, and they're like, will you... Whatever happened to this thing, yeah. we'll never know. You're just like, son <laughs> of a bitch. And so I can't watch Unsolved Mysteries at all because it drives me bananas. Yeah. I hate that. You need the answer. You need the I need the answer. You need the mystery so, solved. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just giving everybody that caveat right now that this is not solved. Okay. Anyway, first let's talk about the name of the ship. Urang is a word in Malay or Indonesian for man. And Madan is actually a large city on the island of Sumatra. So the name of the vessel means man of Madan. Okay. Or the man from Madan. Or Madan. Don't know what it is. Going to probably interchange it the whole time. Um, (laughs) So now what's so crazy about this ship? And... It's actually a ghost ship. What? And the stories around the ship are not all agreed upon, especially the timeline. It's not super clear um, when this happened. So some said it was there was a mysterious radio message that was received by multiple ships while traveling the Straits of Malacca, which is about a 180-mile stretch of water between the Indonesian island of Sumatra and Malaysia. So just some geographical location for you. Um, This signal was sent in either June of 1947 or February of 1948. And then a lot of the sources like said that these stories surfaced in 1952. So there's just some, it's just not clear. Sure. Um, And we'll talk about that. A little bit later too. Okay. So first let's talk about the incident itself. And then we're kind of going to get into the theories of what could possibly have happened. So the signal, as I said, there's a transmission um, being just put out to any ship in the area. The signal is coming from an unknown origin, but there were two messages that there were two messages that were sent, and one in between of those two messages couldn't be deciphered. So three messages in total but they weren't sure what they were saying in the second message. Yeah. Um, But the ships that did receive the messages all agreed um, with some, you know, question marks around the second message because it was not very clear. Um, But they agreed that this is what the transcripts had said. All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in the chart room and bridge. What? (laughs) Possibly whole crew dead. Who's sending the message? And then it's an undeciphered message. And then the last message they receive says, I die. (gasps) What the fuck? 
Yep. This is where I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And dove into my research. That's where they got me. So this is the most consistent message that I found across different sources. Um, But it's definitely agreed upon. Nothing was transmitted after the last and most unsettling message. Yeah. Which was, I die. I also read somewhere that it was, I died. (gasps) So... No, it's I died. Not the end. That me on the end. <laughs> yeah, that source was <laughs> that like article I had read had a lot of um, typos and stuff. So Ooh, that's why gotcha. I was like, I think maybe it's not I died. Uh, okay. So anyway, who knows? Who knows? Two ships felt that they should follow up and check on the SOS calls because they were the closest they could, the closest ships, um, and they were both American ships. They were able to help to get help from the British and Dutch listening posts and to help locate the ship's location. This is when they find out that it's a Dutch shipped ship. Oh boy. Ship <laughs> shipped. Ship ship. Ship ship. The SS Orangmadon. One of the two ships was sent to investigate the location, and that was the Silver Star. This was an American merchant ship, and the captain headed over immediately, hoping that he would be able to help and figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. So after several long hours with no other calls of distress, nothing, they haven't heard anything, the Silver Star finally spots the Orangmadon stranded in the middle of the sea. Mm -hmm. Nothing is powered on. It's totally not responsive. So they pull right up next to the ship and are calling and shouting and trying to make contact with them, and they aren't getting any kind of communication from the ship. I don't like it. Uh Uh-huh. It's Uh really spooky. (laughs) I feel like it's even worse because it's out in the middle of the ocean and nobody's answering. (laughs) You're going to hate this. (laughs) I hate it already. So much worse. Oh, okay. okay. After every effort to reach the crew failed, the captain called for a search party to board the Orangmadon to see if they could figure out what was going on. Um, There's a trigger warning in here for death. So everybody just hold on to your pants. Buckle up your pants. As the search party boarded the ship, they soon realized that the cryptic messages that had been received in the distress call were accurate. They first explored the main deck, and bodies of crew members littered the main deck. The captain was found dead in the bridge, and the rest of the crew had been found in the wheelhouse and in the chart room. Lastly, the radio room was the last discovered, and the radio operator was found with his fingers still on the transmitter. (gasps) Now, if a whole ship of unexplainable death wasn't creepy enough... The way the bodies were found should do it. Each Dutch crew member was found with a look of terror on their faces. Some with arms outstretched as if trying to fight something off. What? (laughs) Okay. The end. (laughs) (laughs) There had been 23 crew members aboard and one canine. So one dog. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the dog that had been on board had been found dead with a snarl on its face. Oh. Yeah. 
every what crew member hell? had the same expression on their faces and not one was found alive. <gasps> Holy With every- cow. Yeah. <laughs> With everyone on board found dead, there were no injuries. There was nothing clearly suffered. Um, and there was no outside trauma detected whatsoever. Um, also, the bodies were decaying much faster than they should have. Should have. It's only been a few hours since this distress call came. You know, maybe eight hours tops. And they what? should not have been decaying at that pace. Um, another mystery is that the crew of the Silver Star all agreed that the, there was a chill on the vessel. It was like there were spots that were really cold and like eerie. Yikes. And this is in the West Indies. Yeah. In the tropics. It's Hot. oh, it's like a hundred and ten degrees outside. Like no. a cold there's not a cold spot on a ship. Yeah. You know? So it doesn't make sense that there would be any kind of cold spots. Um, the crew of the Silver Star decided to search the whole ship and found no answers. They decided to tow the ship so it could be examined further. No. And that it could be salvaged. So they they are like, we don't have the answers. We need to get all these bodies back and, you know, try to figure out what happened. So they are, they get all the lines towed up and ready to go. And they notice smoke coming from the cargo hold. What? And they they had all, they had looked everywhere. What the fuck? They looked everywhere. I can't. They looked everywhere. They had been up and down that whole boat trying to find survivors. There would be no reason for them not to look in every place and not see that, right? So all of a sudden, it starts getting towed and smoke magically starts coming from the bottom of the ship. No. 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 So... At this point, it's way too dangerous to have a burning ship towed behind them because it can affect their ship. So they start to cut the lines. As soon as they cut the lines and get a little bit away, the SS Marangwadon exploded. And it did what? so with such force that it was totally gone and hit the ocean floor. Nothing survived. No evidence. No. What the fuck? Nothing. In 1952, we have the first official report of this ship and the incident reported to the U.S. Coast Guard. And they took witness accounts from the crew of the Silver Star. One of the crew recounted, and this is a quote from um, historicmysteries.com, their frozen faces upturned to the sun, staring as as if in fear. Their mouths were gaping open and eyes staring. <laughs> Yuck. No. no. Okay. <laughs> so that's the incident of what, what happened. So what? now we're going to talk about some of the theories about what they think could have happened. Is this a real ship or not? Kind of thing. So now we're going to talk about, is it true or just a legend? The island of Sumatra was actually a Dutch colony in the West Indies. So the ship being in this geographical location makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. However, there was no record of the ship being registered at all. 
However, the Silver Star was a real ship, and but it had been operating under a different name at the time of the inc- incident, and it was the um, Santa Juana. So my kind of thought on that is that it was listed at the time of the incident, and then by the time it was reported with the U.S. Coast Guard, the name of the ship mm. had been changed to the Silver Star. So that's why they were like, this is the ship that you need to be tracking for your information. Right. That's yeah. just what I kind of figured on my own. Yeah. Um, but there's actually a book that was published by Otto Maleke, and he had exact details of the crew, the cabin, where they were going, and their cargo. Hang on. You got to say that again. Sorry. There was actually a book that was published by Otto Maleke, or M E I. L-K-E. I don't know. Um, but he's a German author, and he had the exact details of the crew that had been on board, the captain, where their their route, what? and their cargo. What? That's crazy. So, okay. how does this guy know right. anything about this ship that nobody has information on? So, the information in the book suggested that the ship was actually traveling with experimental chemical weapons, from a location known as Unit 731 in Japan, which was Unit 731 is run by a man called Shiso Ishii. And he's actually a super cruel scientist. And like with his research, it's really, really fucked up. Oh, no. And so they were building chemical and bio bioweapons. Right. And this scientific facility had tested a number of awful things on people to see what different weapons, how like bodies would respond to different weapons, including including, like leaving women and children out in freezing cold temperatures just to see what their bodies would do. Really, 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 really fucked up. Um, So there's this theory that the cargo was actually being shipped by the U S as an agreement with Japan. um, And they had made it under an unassuming country and ship to be so it wouldn't be linked to them hmm. um so not to bring attention to the shipment or where they were going right. or what was happening so they just wanted yeah. to pick pick a ship to kind of um cover what was being transported mm-hmm. or the reason that this could be a possibility is that the ship records are not able to be located and it's either that it never existed or someone didn't want it to exist anymore so that's where that kind of theory is maybe supported. Yeah. It's like nobody knows what the ship is or who it is or what it was doing. Right. Except this author of the book that had details in extreme detail of what went down. Whoa. So, um, and if it is a chemical or bioweapon that's being transported, it would have been against the Geneva Protocol, which mm. countries agree um, and which stopped the production of chemical weapons and use of chemical weapons. Um, so you would not want to be associated with breaking that protocol because right. your country, like you all Big agree. That, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So it's like you don't want to be caught under that. So all the more reason to sink that ship and make it disappear. Yikes. So that reading kind of between the lines on that is that they think that possibly something happened with the bioweapons or the chemical weapons that caused this distress to the crew without having any kind of, you know, physical right um, tell of what possibly right. killed them. Yeah. 
Um, another theory from Vincent Gatiss is that there was carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, so the ship oh. is most likely a coal burning ship and mm-hmm. there would have been a boiler f- and there could have been a boiler failure. Um, the boiler would have resulted or the boiler failing would have resulted in a large amount of carbon monoxide being released, which would have poisoned the whole crew and in, in thought could have caused that explosion as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That one is a little bit tricky just because you've got to be in, in spaces for that. So, you know, was everybody in one space and then kind of dispersed or, well, and what, a, what about the looks on their faces? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, there are many theories in the paranormal realm of our ghost ship. Um, <laughs> some from sea wraiths to pirates to ghost pirates and beyond. Um, one of the pirate theories was that there was the crew had been actually weren't Dutch crew, and they were actually pirates who had stolen the ship and were using it as, like, transport of illegal goods, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could explain why there was no records, too, if it was a stolen ship or it it wasn't – it was a ship that wasn't doing something legal, you know? So it's like, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't sent by a government, there's no reason for there to be a record, you know? Right. Especially Mm -hmm. if you're off-the-map pirate. Mm-hmm. So, um, or ghost lots, pirate, yeah, or ghost pirates. There's one more theory that is interesting. So, the first publication of this story hit the papers in 1952, right? However, amateur sleuth Estelle that was the only name that it had, Estelle, I don't know who that is or what, okay. um, found articles with this story with a few key differences in the incident, but really, really similar, and some different papers dating back to the 1940s. What? Before it happened? Or right. supposedly? Supposedly. <gasps> so in, in early articles, um, the message from the crew was SOS from Orang Madan, big ships with shortwave wireless get touch doctor urgent. The second message said possible second officer dead, other c- members of crew also dead, disregard medical consultation, SOS urgent assistance warship. The m- last message was crew has. That's it. So it's kind of a creepy message. These are, you know, different articles from different times. So the theory is that it's actually made up. And the writer didn't get the response that he wanted the first few times. Right. And went to different newspapers to publish it and get it, you know, get some hype around it. While this theory makes a little bit more sense, it does not account for the book that had been published accounting in extreme detail the ship and its contents. Yeah. So, Ooh. what happened to the crew and the SS Orangmadon? The world may never know. What? That's it. Oh my god, it's so good! <laughs> it's so creepy. That's the craziest story ever! What yeah. the hell? I was definitely intrigued. What the hell? Yeah. Well, I I need to know. I know. I have no answers <laughs> for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. What was your what was your first thought of what happened? Like what happened to the crew? Oh man. Well, I mean the the chemical thing makes sense because yeah. they wouldn't want anybody to know. Right. 
Before any of the theories, though, what was your, like, what did you think? I have something that came to my mind, but I'm curious what came to your mind. Like, what do you mean? I guess maybe Okay, so when I first read that the crew were, like, frozen and dead in horrified expressions, like, I'm like, oh, they were attacked by aliens, you know? (laughs) I definitely thought ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I was like, this has to be aliens or something crazy that wouldn't leave any kind of mark and, you know, like how could you kill somebody on the spot yeah. or a sea monster that just <gasps> like a siren maybe i don't know yeah that's i definitely thought ghosts i don't know why my mind went to ghosts but that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what i thought well i said ghost ship so maybe maybe that's why yeah but i was just like still yeah Ooh. i i was not in the scientific explanation realm for no. the first no. bit of my research <laughs> no, i was like oh no there's no scientific explanation for that possibly right they saw something and it they saw them something to and death. died yeah they, from it's, terror it was so scary that it they died yeah and then i'm like what could possibly be what is so scary, scary? i'm not sure i want to know i don't want to know <laughs> wow so you know do i hope that this is true no because that means that you know 23 innocent people lost their lives oh man but if it is true oh what a tale the last time this is the last one we're gonna get it all out we're gonna finish it up might be a little bit long but we're gonna i'm gonna do my best to get through it quick 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 clip uh the last time we left clint (laughs) what were you trying to say i was trying to combine cleopatra and antony's name together and it was going to be clanthony 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 something Ooh. okay I promise I'm, I've only had three sips of this drink. <clears throat> okay, let's try this again. Mm-hmm. The last time we left Cleopatra and Antony, he was getting married to Octavia Minor, and Cleopatra was giving birth to their twins. So Antony and Octavian are hailed as these bringers of peace with this marriage. Um, the people in the country are offering up sacrifices and there's suddenly this like age of brotherhood and prosperity and it's a new dawn and all of this crap. And But for all of this brotherhood, Antony and Octavian do not get along. They want power. And they're in it to win it. So Antony's this brilliant, handsome, very capable, very capable general. And Octavian's been described as the sickly boy who wears lifts in his shoes. Hmm. So at some point in time, Octavian actually passes a law stating that no one is allowed to call him boy. <gasps> yeah, he's very sensitive about this. Um, Octavian seems to best Antony in games of chance, bets, um, and when they cast lots to decide political matters, Octavian always seems to come out on top. Okay. So to give you an idea of what kind of person Octavian is, on the day his current wife is giving birth to their child, he manages to slip out of their marriage and he marries a woman named Livia who is at the time six months pregnant with her previous husband's child. What? Yeah. 
I'm not a fan of him. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a dick. He sounds like a great big douche. Okay. Uh, so... Octavian, the great big douche. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he does become Augustus, so... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much. I mean, anyway, he seems like a jerk. Um, so he marries Livia because she's from this higher-ranking family, and this contract makes him Antony's equal. Oh. Yeah, so he kind of comes from a little bit more humble beginnings. But anyway, in the in 37, um, the two of them meet on the banks of the river to kind of talk it out. And the end result is the Pact of Tarentum, which is a renewal of the expired triumvirate. So Antony would be recognized as director of as dictator of the East up through 33 BCE. Okay. Um, all of this is happening and Antony kind of realizes that his wife and his brother-in-law are holding him back and they're kind of holding him in check. He's not able to do what he wants to. And it seems to him that they're collaborating and kind of keeping him from his full potential. And he reasons that the obvious way to secure the upper hand he so desperately needs is a military victory abroad. And he okay. decides that he's going to go against the Parthians, which is a sure way to eliminate Octavian. I don't know how that makes sense, but it makes sense to him. And he sets about doing what he's going to do. All right. He sends word to Cleopatra that she needs to meet him in Antioch. And Antony never sees Octavia again. When Cleopatra and Antony meet in Antioch, Antony meets his twins for the first time. I think they're about three years old at this point, And he acknowledges <sighs> them as his children. Yeah, he's been gone for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he he acknowledges these twins, um, but he also does it as kind of a spite to Octavian because Octavian doesn't have any sons yet. And Antony has two other sons with Fulvia and a new son. Uh, at this time, he also, oh, Antony is, um, gives gifts to Cleopatra. And he, the, <laughs> these are the gifts that he gives her. He confirms that the land of Cyprus is in fact under her authority. <laughs> Just gives her land as a gift. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. It's no big deal. <laughs> so Cyprus is something that Caesar didn't even officially grant her. Um, he also grants her Soel Syria. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Um, Cyrene, which is a, hu a huge portion. A huge portion of Cilicia. Okay. Portions of Crete and all but two cities of the Phoenician coast. Okay. So he gives her Phoenicians. a lot. He gives her a lot of land. Yeah. Okay. Um, as of September 37, Cleopatra rules over nearly the entire eastern Mediterranean coast, from what is today eastern Libya and Africa, north through Israel, Lebanon, and Syria to southern Turkey. All of this is hers, except for a very small sliver of Judea. Interesting. He, yeah. The reason why he does this: there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of timber-rich areas in this region yeah and the alexandrians are excellent shipwrights they are masters at building ships quickly and antony needs a navy and antony needs a navy yep yeah so cleopatra is now 32 so it's not some love driven no gesture it's all political it's all for power it's all for like it looks nice on the outside but deep down inside, so she they're knew, all playing too, games. You think? Yes. You think absolutely. she knew? She's 32 years old. Okay. <laughs> and she declares a new era for Egypt. This is her 16th year as Pharaoh, and it would now be known as year one. 
She also decides that she needs a new name. So she is now known as Queen Cleopatra, the goddess, the younger, father-loving, and fatherland-loving. Okay. This is our new queen. <laughs> um, in our new Mar- same queen. Our new exact same queen. Yeah, got it. <laughs> yep. In March or April of 36, Cleopatra is pregnant again. And they part ways with Antony going north with his army, Cleopatra going south, and she has business with King Herod, who's the king of Judea, who mm-hmm. would later order the massacre of innocents, which was a lot of boys or male children that were killed because during the time of Christ being born, this is that King Herod. Because it's only, what, 30-something years until Christ is born, Jesus Christ is born. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. It kind of blew my mind, too. So she goes to Judea and kind of haggles with Herod, and she comes out on the upper hand. She that timeline just blew my mind. Yeah. That's that pretty crazy. Total mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, early that fall... The Nile rises higher than predicted, and she gives birth to a new baby boy who she names Ptolemy Philadelphus. Yeah. Uh, Antony is really beautiful, beautiful (laughs) name choice. I know, Ptolemy. It's really original. I didn't see it before. Me neither. So clever. Really out of left field. Cleopatra, you (laughs) clever dog. You You clever. Uh, so at this time, Antony is engaged in this big military campaign against Parthia, and he's sending word back to Rome that it's this amazing success. It isn't. It's a fucking shit show. Yeah, of it's course. It's terrible. It's really awful what happens. So the Armenians that he thought were allies actually lure the Romans out into the desert and they leave them. <gasps> I know it's it's not great. Um, so they're marching for like some 30 miles. They're exhausted. They're hot, hungry. They find water, but it's not safe to drink. They end up finding plants that are not safe to eat. They don't know it's poisonous. The men start vomiting. They start having convulsions. They come down with dysentery. Oh, um, no. He is forced to leave all of his huge siege engines behind which is another crushing loss. Yeah. The Armenian king, Artavastas, encourages Antony to invade Medea, and then he double-crosses him. So Mm -hmm. Antony's putting all of his trust in these people, and they're all fucking him over. Yeah. So by the time he makes it to the Syrian coast, he sends word to Cleopatra that she needs to come help him. (laughs) Yeah. He's, He's lost a little over a third of his army and half of his cavalry. Um, so the one, the people that he's up against the Parthians, they're in familiar territory and they're able to regularly ambush the Roman troops. And all in all, he loses some 240,000 men. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, so she gets word from Antony that he's in this small village that has an excellent harbor and she needs to come to him as quick as possible. Um, after all of this loss, Antony kind of has a mental break. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it 100% makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yes. like, uh, I don't deal so, with that every day. And I'm. Yeah. Nope. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> nope. Uh, 
so she's probably really surprised by the summons. She's not expecting him to be back for years. Like when Caesar was alive, he would talk to her about this. And he he would talk about this Parthian campaign and he he talked about it taking years. And Anthony's and gosh, Antony's only been gone for like nine months, a little over nine months. Oh, geez. And so she's like, what is happening? So it takes her a little bit of time to get supplies together because she can't just like throw it on a boat and go. Right. You have to gather stuff together. Well, and you can't go empty handed. You've got no. to like you need show to up to be helpful. You got it. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, it's at least noted that once the, at least once he, Antony tried to commit suicide, and even through all of these terrible losses and no wins, he somehow manages to convince himself that he has come out successful. So who oh. knows what kind of mental state he's actually in when yeah. Cleopatra finally reaches him. Yikes. And the crazy thing is, is that Cleopatra would actually be blamed. She'd end up being blamed for this entire campaign. Of and Plutarch says, um, for so eager was he to spend the winter with her that he began the war before the proper time and managed everything confusedly. He was not master of his own faculties, but as if he were under the influence of certain drugs or of magic rites, was ever looking eagerly towards her and thinking of his speedy return than of conquering the enemy. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I know. Um, so while all of this is happening, Octavian's actually been successful. Great. Which is just more salt in the wound. Right. And he, at this time, around this time, he manages to defeat Sextus Pompey and Lepidus, the other man that was yep. in the triumvirate. Um, so now it's just Octavian and Antony vying for power. And Antony thinks that an Eastern victory will once and, once and for all settle and secure Caesar's name and position, whoever will win. Um, so to settle a score with Armenia, he sends Delius to Armenia, and Delius has a proposition. It's kind of like a, hey, a peace offering kind of deal. Like, you fucked me over. Let's have peace between our countries. And he goes to Artavastas, and he says, wouldn't you want to promise your daughter to Cleopatra and Antony's six-year-old son, Alexander Helios? The offer doesn't make any sense to Artavastas, and he declines. <sighs> Antony responds that spring, and he invades Armenia. In no time, he subdues the entire country and declares it a Roman province. Whoa. Yeah. He <coughs> returns to Alexandria with the entire treasury of Armenia, as well as the king, his wife, and their children bound in golden chains. <gasps> yep. Uh, Cleopatra issues orders for this extravagant party. There's going to be a procession, kind of like the Triumphs in Rome, which the Ptolemies are actually really good at this. The Triumphs in Rome are actually based on the processions that the Ptolemies would do because they're yeah. really showy. You know, they have money, wealth, all of these yeah. things, right? So Antony sends the captive royal family ahead of him into Alexandria, and he follows in a chariot with his beautiful purple cloak streaming out behind him. They make their way down the Canopic Way, and he marches the captives right up to Cleopatra, who's seated on this beautiful golden throne on top of this silver platform. Over the top. Uh, yes. Yeah. Again, Ptolemy through and through. The king of Armenia refuses to get on his knees before Cleopatra or acknowledge her high rank, and instead <gasps> he addresses her by her first name. Wow. Yeah, very brave. He's very brave. What an I idiot. Mean, you, 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 I mean, if you're a king in your own right, I don't know. I don't yeah, know that I would I'm, bow. I'm sorry. If you're a king in chains. Oh, yeah. It's in all front I, of 
the, the richest most powerful woman. person. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't yeah. Know. I don't know about that. I think he's pretty dumb. Also, if he, she's got his children. She's got his whole family. Like, and his treasury and the ability to crush in. So maybe like, he's like, I have nothing else to lose. Maybe. Maybe he's just like one more middle it's, finger. It's really possible. Okay. Yeah, but this is actually the first time that she experiences any type of royal humiliation. <gasps> and it probably makes a huge impression on her. Right. I mean, she's probably like, wow, man, you got big balls. But also, like, you are... You're a dummy. <laughs> yeah. So after this, there's this lavish banquet and the celebrations at the palace. There's public entertainment and there's food and she distributes money and they're just having a good time. Um, several days later, people are called into the Alexandria Gymnasium. They're going to have, there's another event. So it's the largest structure in the city. Um, it's about 600 feet long. And in the center of the court, the Alexandrians find another silver platform. And on it are two massive golden thrones. Antony is seated on one. And addressing Cleopatra as the new Isis, he invites her to sit in the other throne. So over her reign, she kind of steps more and more into the role of Isis. And at this ceremony, she is in full regala of Isis. She is Isis personified. Antony is dressed as a Dionysus. And before them, at their feet are four smaller thrones and their children are sitting there. Antony gets up and addresses the crowd. And he says that Cleopatra will henceforth be known as Queen of Kings. He states that 13-year-old Caesarian is named King of Kings in the name of Julius Caesar, who was Cleopatra's husband and Caesarian's father. Also on Caesar's behalf, he names his sons with Cleopatra as King of Kings. Um, each son is granted land, more land, <laughs> more land. Yep. Yep. Um, and their one daughter, Cleopatra Cellini is given Cyrene. Um, so Antony is parceling out plots of land to his children that aren't his to give. Some of them aren't even in Rome's possessions. Parthia is not his to give away. Um, so it's basically, it's kind of just hopeful thinking and what they want to happen. Right. They're kind of placing their hopes on their kids. Yeah. So this ceremony would later be known as the donations of Alexandria. So Cleopatra presides over the ceremony. There's a citywide banquet that follows. And she doesn't preside over it as a queen, but as a living god with okay. the divine Caesar's son on one side and Antony as Dionysus on the other, also a god. Yeah. But the year is 34 BCE. Okay. So the message that Antony and Cleopatra might have been trying to to deliver could have been just directed at the monarchs who had defied Antony during the Parthian campaign. Perhaps they're directed at Octavian, but either way, it doesn't. It's not subtle. Um, either way, whatever the purpose of the message is, Antony means the donations as an official act, and he sends reports of the triumph and the ceremony back to Rome for Senate ratification. Okay. Cleopatra's title at this point is huge. I mean, <laughs> it's an insult to Rome, as well as the sovereigns around her. She outrakes every single client king in both wealth and influence. Um, so in the book, Stacey Schiff writes that at best, the celebrations were simply tone deaf. At worst, they were an insult to Octavian, a brazen power play. And whatever it is they're planning, those plans do not include Octavian. 
Cleopatra is at this point 35 years old. Antony sends a letter to Octavian stating that he would relinquish his powers and restore a republic to Rome if Octavian would agree to do the same thing. Octavian's like, fuck that, I'm not doing that. This is kind of when it comes to a head. And once it starts, once all, once all of their grievances start getting aired, it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so Antony and Cleopatra head to Ephesus, and he arranges for the city to greet Cleopatra as his royal mistress. When they arrive, they start assembling a navy, and they send a word to every clan king in the region, and they all arrive with fleets, and they submit to oaths of loyalty. Cleopatra herself supplies 200 of Antony's 500 warships, fully manned along with 20,000 talents, as well as 75,000 legionnaires, 25,000 infantry, and 12,000 cavalry. On the last day of 33, the triumvirate officially expires. So in January of 32, a new consul speaks out in the Senate in favor of Antony and very savagely against Octavian. Okay. Hearing about this, Octavian goes to the Senate with a bodyguard of soldiers and supporters all heavily armed, and none of them bother to hide their weapons. Those in the Senate waste no time, and they get the hell out of Rome, and they actually head for Ephesus. So Octavian is kind of the one that's decided that Cleopatra's plotting to make Rome a province of Egypt, and in this, he's found a clever way to disguise a declaration for a civil war. Okay. Yeah, so traditionally there are three steps in Rome to declare a war. Octavian does none of these. Um, He doesn't request Cleopatra to come for an accounting of charges. And instead, in a military cloak, he personally throws a spear drenched in pig's blood towards the east from a patch of, quote, hostile soil in Rome. Yeah, it's like some old tradition or something that he, yeah, that he's just made up. It's all really unspecified what she's done, and she's going to be condemned for her acts, but nobody knows, like, what her acts are. are. Yeah. Yeah. Octavian removes all of the astrologers and soothsayers because he wants to be the one that's controlling the narrative. So there's statues of Antony and Cleopatra that are supposedly struck by lightning and destroyed. 85-foot-long two-headed serpents just magically appear. And the marble statue of Antony starts to ooze blood. Cleopatra is this powerful, bloodthirsty Egyptian queen, and she's this vicious enemy, and she's not going to stop until Rome, all of Rome, is in her possession. Right. In 31, Octavian's Admiral Agrippa actually makes makes a surprise crossing into Greece, disrupting Antony's supply line. And then Octavian moves 80,000 men from the Adriatic coast, forcing Antony north. He's not ready for this. He's completely mm-hmm. caught off guard. Um, and they end up in a place called Actium. It offers an excellent harbor, but Octavian can't lure Antony out to sea. And Antony can't seem to get Octavian to come to land. He Octavian's more interested in trying to cut his supply lines. And he actually does a really good job of this. More people are abandoning Antony and Cleopatra. Malaria sets in. Uh, rations are cut. Things aren't going well. And in August, Antony actually orders whole towns to help carry supplies to a new camp. Uh, one of his really trusted generals abandons him, and after this, he's extremely paranoid. He thinks that Cleopatra is attempting to poison him. Um, <gasps> yeah, yeah, they're kind of he kind of turns on her a little bit. Um, yeah, so to prove her innocence, she like prepares this drink that would kill him, but intercepts him as the, like as he's gonna take a drink, and she's like, "If I was gonna kill you, I wouldn't stop you." 
That's know. a pretty risky, a pretty risky way to show you don't want to kill somebody. Yeah. Like, oops, um, didn't get to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so towards the end of August, Anthony, Anthony calls a war council and it's decided that they'll engage in a, in a naval campaign. So they've lost so many people. At the end of the month, he drags some 80 ships on the beach and sets them on fire because they don't have the men to crew them. And it'd be better if they're burned then fall into Octavian's hands. On September 1st, Cleopatra's officers under cover of darkness load up her flagship, the massive Antonia, with her chests of treasure. And the next day, the Battle of Actium actually takes place, which is a huge, this is a big, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but it's a big deal. Um, so in the morning, Antony sails out and Octavian's fleet's about a mile off. Antony has 240 ships. Octavian has 400. I've seen different numbers. I don't know. Octavian attempts to draw Antony further out and they engage in battle. They're ramming each other's ships. They're launching like stones and arrows and crap at each other until late in the afternoon. There's a break in the battle and Cleopatra's giant flagship puts up sails and the 60 ships that were left to guard her, they make a break for it through mm. this battle. And she's gone. She's just gone. Everybody's shocked. They're even more shocked when Antony jumps from his flagship to a galley. And he also leaves with 40 ships. So he just, they just abandon. They out. They're out. Whoa. I don't know if he didn't think that he could win. Maybe it had been previously arranged, but they knew if they could get Octavian out into the open sea, they'd be able to make their break to Egypt. He makes it aboard the Antonia, and it said that neither Antony or Cleopatra speak to each other. Something has gone really wrong. So it's thought that his men weren't supposed to be left behind. Maybe she left prematurely. She took the She saw the opportunity and took it. There's a lot of things that we don't know. Right. Okay. So she docks for water and they find out what happened. Um, the battle had continued for hours and Antony's fleet held on for as long as possible, but it was ultimately destroyed. They finally make it back to Egypt and Antony leaves and heads to Libya where he is actually posted for legions and Cleopatra continues to Alexandria. And she knows that if she can move fast enough, she can be word of what's happened Mm -hmm. And no one will be the wiser. So when she finally sails into the harbor of Alexandria, the Antonia is draped in flowers. There's people on board singing victory songs. And when they <sighs> row out to meet her and get her, she tells them like, oh, we've had this great triumph. No. At the same time, the 19 legions that Antony left, 19 legions, that's so many men. How they many is in a legion again? Four to 6,000 men, and there's 19 of them. Wow. Yeah. So all of these men that Antony left behind, they've completely given up hope that their commander is going to come back for them. And they, after a week of negotiations, they surrender to Octavian, whose army has just swelled an insane amount. I don't even know how many men that is. A lot. Wow. It's okay. a lot. Cleopatra's now back in Alexandria, and she's worried about the Alexandrian elite. If they disapproved of her before, they're sure as shit going to disapprove of her now losing to Rome. Right. She wastes no time and she goes on a killing spree. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. She orders her most prominent detractors arrested. They're assassinated. And she confiscates all of their assets, all of their estates. 
And she starts hoarding gold. She starts bringing in money. She seizes temple treasure because she knows she's going to need as much money as she can get their hands on because she's got to ask for new allies. She has to get new forces. So she starts going to neighboring sovereigns and asks for help. She starts experimenting with poisons. Plutarch mm. has her experiencing with poisons, testing them on prisoners, on animals, trying to find out what's going to yield the least painful and quickest result of death. Antony finally makes it back to Alexandria, and he decides that he doesn't want anything to do with anybody. He withdraws from society, and he, like, moves into this little shack on the end of a... <laughs> he, like, has this causeway, like, out built out into the harbor, and he he's a hermit he's he doesn't want anything to do with anybody i'm you know so uh, dramatic yes yeah it doesn't last very long he he makes it back to the palace yeah Mm -hmm. there's exchanges of envoys between cleopatra and octavian there's bribes and proposals and she wants one thing i would like to pass my kingdom to my children octavian isn't interested in that he doesn't he doesn't care he wants he wants her gold Um, He continues to publicly threaten Cleopatra while privately he tells her that if she would just kill Antony, he'll pardon her. She has no intention of killing Antony and she orders a two-story building adjacent to the Temple of Isis to be built. It's her mausoleum. So Octavian is closing in on Alexandria and Antony kind of has this burst of energy and he rides out and he meets the enemy and they're tired and all of this. And he, they, they kind of win this battle and he chases them back to camp. And so he's kind of a little bit bolstered. Um, so on the 1st of August, Antony takes the remainder of his infantry out to the city and they're kind of up on these cliffs and they're watching the naval engagement that's happening. And he watches his fleet row out to Octavian. They lift their oars up, saluting the enemy the enemy lifts their oars up, saluting back. And Antony watches as his fleet joins with the enemy fleet. <gasps> they turn around and they sail into the harbor as one unit. His Navy fleet freaking abandons him and his cavalry did, abandons him. I feel really bad for him. Wow. Yeah. So Sad. he... Yeah, he. I, mean, I don't know, really. It is sad. sad. I mean, like, it is because uh, you know you. I don't know. You think that these people maybe are going to help you, and everybody, everybody deserts him. He like a bunch of his really close friends deserted him. Anyway, he flies back into the palace, raving that Cleopatra has betrayed him to the enemy, and Cleopatra's like, "I'm not going to listen to you. I have not betrayed you." And so she goes to her mausoleum with her two most trusted maidservants and staff, and they lock themselves in, essentially. They bar the doors. Oh, my God. Antony receives word in his rooms that Cleopatra has died, and he orders his servant, Eros, to kill him. Eros draws his sword, and instead of killing his master, kills himself. He won't. He won't kill Antony. Oh, my God. (laughs) Antony is forced to take his own sword. And he runs it straight into his ribs, missing his heart. He faints, but he doesn't die. He wakes up a short time later and he begs those that are still around him. He's like, please just just kill me. Nobody kills him. They all turn around and they leave. They just wow. leave him there. Yep. Is yeah. this all just like Rome's poisoned everybody's ear? Or is it like probably more just have they made like 
porch, like leaving their people. I think also, yes. I think it's probably a combination of everything okay. that he's kind of gone more to Egypt instead of tried to stay true to Rome. Yeah. He's also lost more battles than they can yeah. probably all count. Yeah. They're sick yeah. of it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So things kind of get from this point on, things are kind of a little bit confusing because we have two different historians that are kind of telling stories. We have Dio and we have um, Plutarch. So it's possible that Cleopatra first learned that Antony was half dead. Maybe Antony learned that Cleopatra was actually still alive. She might have sent her servants to bring him back and Antony might have ordered his servants to take him to her. Either way, he's lost a lot of blood. And from the second story window of the mausoleum, Cleopatra and her servants lower down ropes and cords and they fasten the limp body of Antony to them and they hoist him up through this window. So Plutarch writes from an eyewitness account, never was there a more piteous sight. Smeared with blood and struggling with death, he was drawn up, stretching out his hands to her even as he dangled in the air. Mm. Yeah. So she gets Antony inside and lays him on a couch and immediately, in only one of two recorded instances, she totally loses her self-control. Like she she begins ripping at her clothes. She wipes the blood from his body and she's smearing it on his face. She's like beating and clawing at her breasts. And he's like, it just I need some wine. So she brings him a sip of wine and he encourages Cleopatra to attend to her own safety and to cooperate with Octavian as far as her honor would allow. And with those words, the man that she has been with for the better part of a decade dies in her arms. So one of Octavian's bodyguards actually takes Antony's sword and he's hiding under his cloak and he goes to Octavian's camp. And it's said that Octavian immediately retires to his tent and he begins to weep for Antony. <laughs> I know. Bull. Baloney. He's he's probably relieved that Antony's finally dead. He's probably um, so happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So immediately he sends a man named Proculius. Oh boy. He sends a guy to Cleopatra. He has two jobs. He needs to get Cleopatra out of the mausoleum and he needs to keep her from lighting the whole mausoleum on fire and all the treasure because he needs that treasure. Yep. Cleopatra is not going to let him in. If you would like to speak to me, you can do it through the door. Just speak up a little, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, he assures her that she has nothing to worry about. She can trust Octavian completely. Um, and she knows, like, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> blah, she blah, wants, blah, blah, she, blah. Yeah, she wants guarantees, not empty promises. Yeah. So he makes little progress with her. And he, he returns with a man named Gaius Cornelius Gallus. He speaks to Cleopatra. While he's speaking to her, the other man has leaned a ladder against the side of the building, and he goes through the upper story window, followed by two serpents. Cleopatra's two closest maids, Charmian and Iris, notice the men first, and they cry out, Wretched Cleopatra, you are taken alive. Cleopatra reaches for a small dagger that she's hidden on her person, but she's actually like, he fucking tackles her. And he tells her, like, don't act so rashly. You would do yourself a disservice and Octavian as well. Why rob him of the opportunity to prove his kindness and integrity? I wrote kindness and integrity, my ass. Right? No shit. Yeah. Yep. So she's placed under house arrest but and is given everything she asks for. And she is allowed to prepare Antony's body for burial. Um, and she actually buries Antony herself. 
her display of grief is so extreme that her chest is beaten and scratched so terribly that after a few days, she actually has a raging infection and she gets a fever and she thinks like, perfect. If I stop eating, I'll just get sicker and sicker and I can die a Roman free death. Octavian hears about her being sick and using her children against her. He gets her to start eating and taking medication that'll help her live. Cleopatra receives word on the 9th of August that Octavian's going to be leaving in three days, and she, along with her three younger children, are going to be going with him to Rome. They will mm. be par- paraded through the streets at a triumph, and this is not something she's willing to do. No. She's already sent a cesarean away long before she signed okay. the Nile with his tutor, so he's safe. Okay. She sends a request to Octavian that she would like to visit Antony's tomb. He grants her request, and after that, she she, so she goes, she comes back, she takes a bath, and she has this beautiful dinner. She writes a letter to Octavian. Towards the end of the day, a servant shows up with a basket of figs. Cleopatra dismisses all of the servants, save for Iris and Charmian, and they close themselves up in the mausoleum very quietly. Nobody knows. They dress Cleopatra in her formal robes. They hand her the ornaments of her office, the crook and flail, and they tie her diadem around her forehead. Octavian receives this letter, and in it, he finds her request that she be buried with Antony. He immediately <laughs> knows what she's going to do, and he heads off to stop her himself. But then he, like, second-guesses himself, and he's like, oh, I'm going to send a messenger instead. They find Cleopatra lying on a golden couch, majestically arrayed in her most beautiful apparel. She's already dead. <gasps> yep. Her servant iris is laying at her feet nearly dead and charmian is trying to actually straighten the diadem around cleopatra's forehead and octavian's messenger shouts a fine deed this charmian (laughs) to which she tartly responds it is indeed the most fine and befitting the descendant of so many kings after that she collapses and she dies at her queen's side oh my god i know so we don't actually know how she died the story that like I grew up with knowing was that she was bitten by an asp. Oh yeah. But how, okay. You have a little basket of figs. How in the hell are you going to find hide an Egyptian cobra in a little plate of figs without it getting all pissed off and hissing and showing itself? There's also not a way to ensure that it's going to bite all three women successfully and inject enough venom to kill them within minutes of each other. So it's most likely that she drank some type of poison that Mm -hmm. she didn't suffer. It's probably, she probably just went to sleep. Okay. She was 39 years old. She had ruled for nearly 22 years. With her death, the Ptolemaic dynasty came to an end, and Octavian officially annexed Egypt on August 31st. Uh, Her son Caesarian only made it as far as the port to the Red Sea, And he was actually convinced by his tutor to turn around to try to negotiate with Octavian. No. The 17 year I know. What a stupid. I know. I think the tutor was probably turned. Yeah, for sure. Yep. He's 17 years old and he's returned to Alexandria and he's immediately murdered. Immediately murdered. Yep. Um, Her other three children are of little danger and they return to Rome with Octavian when he leaves and they're actually raised by... Um, Octavia with oh. her other children. Yeah. So Anthony's um, kids all live together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. So a year after the death of their mother, they walked in Octavian's triumph through the streets of Rome. Um, her daughter would end up being married to a prince and of Cleopatra Selina, Selene's two brothers, Alexander Helios and Ptolemy Philadelphus. 
there is actually never any mention of them ever again after the triumph. They are totally lost to history. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, so Alexandria would remain the center of intellectuals and philosophy for about another century. After a 5th century earthquake, Cleopatra's palace slid into the Mediterranean Sea, and the city itself has sunk more than 20 feet. Um, wow. I know. So in Stacey's Schiff's book, she writes it so well. Um, she says, it's always been preferable to attribute a woman's success to her beauty rather than to her brains, to reduce her to the sum of her sex life. It is less threatening to believe her fatally attractive than fatally intelligent. It is true that she was a dutiful, father-loving daughter, a patriot and protector, an early nationalist, a symbol of courage, a wise ruler with, ne with nerves of steel, a master of self-presentation. It is not true that she built the lighthouse of Alexandria, could manufacture gold, was the ideal woman, a martyr to love, a silly little girl, or the mother of Christ. A 7th century Coptic bishop turned her termed her the most illustrious and wise of women, greater than the kings who preceded her. So 2,000 years of bad press and overheated prose of film and opera cannot conceal the fact that Cleopatra was a remarkably capable queen, canny and opportunistic in the extreme, a strategic of the first rank. A strategist of the first rank. Her career began with one brazen act of defiance and ended with another. What woman, what ancient, ancient succession of men was so great? So that is the life of Cleopatra. That's crazy. And amazing. She, oh my God, she's amazing. She's amazing. So cool. And I'm glad that she got to decide her fate. Oh my God, I'm looking at some of the pictures of like the, the city underwater. I know. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. It would be really amazing to be able to walk and like see the temple of isis and the library of alexandria and the lighthouse mm -hmm. like all of that stuff's gone you know i mean the lighthouse was one of the seven wonders of the world but mm -hmm. it's totally gone i mean it's wild yeah yeah so there you go that is the story of cleopatra and they don't know where she's buried they do not know where she's buried but supposedly her and antony are buried together somewhere um, it's thought that they were buried in the Temple of Isis. It's thought that they were buried some like 20 miles away. Um, it's thought that they weren't buried at all, but were actually like cremated. So maybe that's why we haven't found any bodies because it's not known that they were like mummified because right. mummification takes, as we know, 70 days. A long time. And she buried him within two. Yeah. So if that's the case, then there really wouldn't be any like remnants of them left. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. This whole like diving in this area would be so fucking creepy, Amazing. but so cool. It would be really creepy. Really eerie. Yeah. Yeah. All of the things that happened there and mm, yeah, the like city laying, like kneeling down to Octavian and, yeah, this mm -hmm. book, like, there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, I know that I went over a lot, but there's a ton of stuff in this book that really details kind of, like, her interactions with Herod and her interactions with other kings and, mm -hmm. you know, but anyway, there you go. Crazy. Now oh. you know. Now, now you know. I know. Now you know. Now I know. All right. Well, curious friends, thank you, as always, for tuning in with us this week. We appreciate you being here. 
Remember to check out our sources on our website, morethemyths.com. Check out our social media, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, social, you do, we do. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at morethemythspodcast at gmail.com. Wherever you podcast, we also podcast. So if you could just follow and subscribe, if you have a few minutes, leave a review. Gives the little pod a little bump. And as always, if you love us, tell your friends, tell your family, and tell your siblings. And everyone else you know. Yep. Until next time, stay curious. Bye. Bye.